Cinephile. And the Academy Award for Best Picture. Come on. La La Land. We lost, by the way. But, what? you know. Guys, guys, I'm sorry. No. There's a mistake. There's a mistake. Wait, wait, Moonlight's one Best Picture. Moonlight won Best Picture. Whoa, we have a little... Oh, my goodness. This is incredible. Moonlight won Best Picture. drama here at the Academy Awards. This is like Steve Harvey. Remember that? This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. We said earlier tonight, Ben, we were going to see a shocker. This is the shocker. Moonlight won Best Picture. Cinephile. The Adnan Verk Movie Podcast. Cinephile, where the stars congregate, and I'm telling you, a couple of heavyweights today on the podcast. The marvelous Hank Azaria, his new show, Brockmire, coming to IFC Wednesday, April 5th. I had huge expectations. As soon as they said Azaria's coming to ESPN, I said, sky high. That's how I felt, and I knew he would knock it out of the park, and he did. You'll hear him coming up, not only talking about Brockmire, the genesis of it, love of the Mets, uh, Tim Kirchin's role in the show, but also the famous scene in Heat where Pacino yells at his face. Uh, Apu voicing him on The Simpsons. Mo, which was based on Pacino and Dog Day Afternoon. I mean, we ran the gamut. Hank, doing David Mamet plays. I love Mamet. And the Hank's done sexual perversity in Chicago with Matthew Perry over in London. So trust me, we ran the gamut with Hank Azaria. And Dan, would you not agree? He he met and exceeded all expectations. Oh, he was fantastic. We Everyone's going to love this one. We could have done an hour and a half with him. He was awesome. So Hank is coming up. Also awesome was Ken Jong, his show Dr. Ken, which of course you should watch on ABC. He came early in the week. Tremendous stories about the hangover. You know that famous scene where he jumps out naked. Whose idea was it to be naked? Ken tells us how many takes did it take? Uh, even his breakout role in Knocked Up. And his success now with the show Dr. Ken. And even on a serious note, I thought he went very introspective talking about being an Asian-American actor and what that climate is like right now. Uh, so trust me, there is a ton of great information coming up. We'll also have, review a new Walter Hill film starring Sigourney Weaver, Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, we'll also do some streaming. And because I'd mentioned last time, this is a complete ripoff of Gilbert Godfrey because they did famous taglines on his podcast. So Danny is going to throw a few taglines at me and see if I can – spot those wait are we stealing their segment well that's exactly what they did like it was oh man i don't know how i feel about this now yeah maybe maybe we're not they're good though I, I i i'm excited about them i figure if you give them the hat tip then then perhaps it's a lot but i'm telling you that we'll do it just this once maybe <laughs> as yeah, an well, homage yeah gilbert it's an homage go listen to gilbert godfrey's podcast when you have a chance by the way thanks to all those who listened last time as always please uh, rate the podcast in a file on iTunes. I always rank movies at a four Maple Leafs, uh, but we rank it there on iTunes at a five. So please give us a high ranking and post a comment as well. Love to hear what you think of the podcast. Uh, Dan and I rarely disagree, uh, but thank you to all the feedback. My man, Adam Amin, who listens every time. You will not find a better play-by-play guy here at ESPN. My boy, Chris Duffy. One of my best friends, Puffy, Sean Cameron, who, by the way, is on James Duffy's podcast, the Rubber Boots podcast, for those uh, north of the border. They all love that segment, top five most disturbing movies. I, I thought it was some of the best work we did. Uh, Dan, as he tweeted, wishes he could have unlearned, un- unheard the entire segment. I think it was the worst thing we've ever did. It was just foul and grotesque the entire time. I wish yeah. I didn't have to be here for that five minutes. If it was sick, demented sense of humor, perhaps, maybe somebody would have enjoyed it. Or if you just want to go to some dark places, trust me, look up the last in a file. Hank Azaria is hysterical. Here he is, sometimes as Hank, sometimes as Jim Brockmire. A real thrill to be joined by, for me, as talented a guy as exists. The great Hank Azaria joins us, and you know him, you're going to know him well as Jim Brockmire. It debuts Wednesday, April 5th on IFC. I've seen the entire show. It is hysterical. Hank Azaria, great to have you with us, man. Thank you very much, Adnanberg. My <laughs> pleasure to be here, as it is for Jim Brackmire. Already in character. Already in character. My buddy Tim Kirchin is in episode seven. He is fabulous. He tells stories about Brockmire. He is astonished when you say a certain line about Joe Buck's mother. And Tim told me <laughs> that reaction was a genuine reaction from him. He had a blast. And he said, I learned a lot. And he goes, one of the things I learned was, as a broadcaster, you know, we've got to nail it one take. He goes, but when I watched Hank as Brockmire... He has so many different riffs and so many different improvisations that, you know, you kind of just say, well, we'll take one piece of take one and a little bit of take four and maybe take five works, et cetera. But how good an actor was Kirkchen? Because like, you can assess anybody. <laughs> uh, Kirkchen was a game gamer. 
Kirchin made a ridiculous mistake that we left in because it was absolutely hilarious. The Yentl joke. Yes. Which he tells me, he goes, well, I kind of did that on purpose. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I could be wrong. I don't think so, though. Kind of did that on purpose. He's supposed to say, I love Yentl. Right, Barbara Streisand. Because they would make it a little. Somehow we're talking about Papa, Can You Hear Me? As if Joe Buck did it as a one-man show or something. Right, right, right. right. And uh, so Tim, with great confidence, says, plus, I loved Lentil. And uh, <laughs> we're like, Kirchin, I think you mean Yentl. <laughs> I love all beans. You know, garbanzo, black, pinto, whatever. God bless beans and Barbra Streisand. That, we left that in the show because it was too good. Well, I love when there's that riff of like guys talking about Brockmar, and Timmy actually has a line about, yeah, he'd get so buzzed he'd start dropping Godfather references. And you've got Oberman, you've got Rich Eisen, like all these guys. The voice itself, like you're the man of a thousand voices, and you're so skilled at this, but it sounds like the that. The technical number is 574. <laughs> Let's not exaggerate. 574. It's the quintessential baseball guy. Like, I know you love the Mets, so I thought it was Bob Murphy, but it's. A bit of Vince Scully, a bit of John Miller. Like, it's, all right, Brockmar. Like, the next time I'm going to call a game, which me and Tim are calling a game, I believe, in May, I'm going to feel like I want to call it like Brockmar. Listen, first of all, Brockmar is available. He'll be happy to go on (laughs) and call the game, although you better have the the seven-second delay button ready. (laughs) That's the first thing. Right. um, Bob Murphy, I grew up a Mets fan. Bob Murphy was more here. Bob Murphy was similar, but was a little more guttural. A few too many cigarettes and Schaefer beers. (laughs) Um, and Bowling for Dollars, probably too many Bowling for Dollars broadcasts <laughs> from Bob Murphy. Bob Murphy did a weird thing, too. Uh, he would – I've never seen another sportscaster do this. Yeah. He would get – he'd have inappropriate affect, what psychologists call inappropriate affect, where he would go, hit deeply to the right side, it's fielded cleanly, and he's out. And then he'd go, well hit, home run. <laughs> so you get very excited over routine ground balls <laughs> like, what are you and, doing? and almost annoyed uh, bored with home runs. I, I, I couldn't never understand it. But uh, Bob Costas, who I sent the show to, yeah. identified the voice correctly. It's distinct in its indistinctness. It, it's, he uses the phrase I use, which is the generic baseball announcer voice. Right. Completely plain, completely vanilla. But just, you know, almost, it's just the, what is it? It's, the, it's, a, it's a, the honey syrup just coming down. Yeah, throat. it's Miguel it's Cabrera, too, and two. Exactly. And uh, there's a deep fly ball to right. Exactly. And I, I as Home a, as, fun. Exactly. And I, I got to stop saying the word exactly. <laughs> I, um, but I, as a teenager, I became fascinated with this. It was one of the, I'm a mimic. Yeah. And it was one of the first voices that broke through to me. Like, wait, I was like, wait a minute. I wanted to raise my hand and go, does everybody realize why is this the voice that is always delivering sports to us? Right. Why? Why? Why do I have to hear this if I want to watch the baseball game? The show Brockmire is on Wednesday, April fifth on IFC, and the the one of the great comments I can give you, Hank, is that I think it's as contemporary show as it gets. For example, Brockmire's a guy. By the way, the first five minutes is hysterical because you see. It, 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 talk about a show putting you right where you need to go. It's profanely funny, <laughs> but it has a ton of heart. I love the relationship with you and Amanda Pete. It's very genuine. But for a couple of drug addicts and alcoholics, like you're really rooting for each other. And here are some of the samplings, how good these lines are. And this is the exact definition of a podcast. Loving the sound of your own voice and talking forever. <laughs> Brockmeyer later says, I always assumed Al Michaels would have been likely to commit murder than O.J. Simpson. <laughs> Amanda Pete says, I've had more d- than a bathhouse in 1978. Uh, Joe Buck didn't in your bed, it was Musburger. And what I will have story, never, another I, true story. I've never met Joe, but I love his work. I love his dad, obviously, too. But I want to know how, because I'm guessing he was eager to say these lines. I'm sure Kirk would have been a little demure, but the particular line, I was born in Florida, of course, if it had a f- <laughs> <laughs> which Joe did deliver quite convincingly. You're an ex- <laughs> you're exactly right. Kirkchin was a little. More like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, like the 11th grader at the prom. Not right. sure what was going on. Right. Uh, but Joe was enthusiastic. And Joe took part in the short that we did. Right, Buddy or Die. And he was obviously quite game then. I have to say, honestly, Joe wasn't good in it like, oh, he was good considering he's a sportscaster. Acting. Yeah. We could, if we hired an actor like to play a Joe Buck-like character, right. he could not have done a better job. Yeah. Honestly. Um, he was amazing. I'm with you. And and Tim even vouched for that. He goes, like, there's so many lines. He goes, that's the appreciation I have for actors now. Seeing you and seeing Amanda Pete. he goes, there's just so much dialogue they have to spit out. He goes, it's it's such a different. When people try to say, oh, broadcasting, acting, you guys, this. no, it's completely different. Um, I'm speaking of completely different, I have a great compliment for you. 
Being oh, a, I'm, I'm all ears. <laughs> yeah, in yeah, fact, yeah, can you yeah. get <laughs> yourself a little closer to the microphone so everybody, including the folks at home, can hear you? This isn't just for Brockmar. This is for Hank. So being of South Asian descent, I know you've gotten some heat for the accent oh, of I Ap- have. <laughs> Apu because it's a little bit broad. But <laughs> to put it politely, <laughs> the quickie mark. But my dad, like we used to run a convenience store. So when the Simpsons debuted for us, it was like, oh, my God, right. my dad runs a convenience store. And this was the first South Asian character on TV. Like our family's from Pakistan. But the fact that it was like, yeah, Apu's an Indian guy who runs a convenience store owner. Right. Like, that was such a source of pride. And I think that at times, whatever heat you've taken, people go, oh, why is Hank Azaria doing the voice? Or that's not a reflective voice of the right. Indian community. I'm like, to me. That's not what the show is. It's a satirical show. True. It's meant to be funny. And Apu's actually one of the smartest characters in the show. He's a hardworking guy with like eight kids. Also true. And we've given we've fleshed him out a lot and given him a lot of uh, of of color, if you will, and right. dimension. Um, and listen, I'm going to bring you around with me everywhere. So, <laughs> see this Pakistani guy here who has actually made quite a successful name for himself in our country. I'm going to refer you to him. <laughs> When I get complaints about Apu. I've talked a bunch about this. I totally understand it, though, um, mm. because it was at the time, especially when the show premiered in 88, whatever it was, through right. the 90s, really the only representation of a yeah. Southern Asian person on television. Right. That's sort of a double-edged sword because on the one hand, it was funny and it was delightful and it was right. smart in many ways. On the other hand, it was a little stereotypical, sure. uh, maybe a lot stereotypical right. and um, uh, perhaps borderline offensive. And you know how, when it, how it came home to me? I worked with the late great Robin Williams in The Birdcage, and Robin did many voices, and um, I'm of Jewish descent, and uh, Robin would do a Jewish character. Oh, I hear you about that guy. Exactly. It was like very and it would, yeah. Yeah. What are you talking? Yeah. What are you doing? Right. And it, it would semi-annoy me. Right. And I'm like, eh, that's, you know. Like we're not little... all Shylock merchant events. Yeah, it was funny often, but it was also right. like, eh. It hit me the way I would imagine – Apu hit some other some Southern Asian folks like yeah sure. all right we don't really sound like that and by the way you're a white guy and <laughs> right. what are you doing right um, but it didn't really bother me but then I realized that was not the only representation of Jews in our culture right there were many 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 right so if it were the only representation of Jews in the culture I might especially as a child and if I if that were used to make fun of me right. That I would, I totally understand people not being totally thrilled with it. Right. Put it that way. I, I love all the voices, though. Mo, I'm obsessed with Pacino, as so many people are. And yes, well, <laughs> the fact that who, who isn't at that? But Mo is based on Pacino, specifically like Dog Day Afternoon, mid seventies. Yeah, dog, young wanted, Pacino. Yeah. I'm dying this here. Is, <laughs> Everybody's coming down on me. What? What the hell is going on? Sal, 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 Sal wants to go to Wyoming. Kiss me, kiss me. That Pacino. <laughs> Films <laughs> earning always amazing, right? Oh, always amazing. amazing. What do you want from me? Okay. Look, I got nothing on me. He's just patting himself down. What do you want, Sonny? Those guys, him and Jack Warden, those guys, they were so oh, good. Oh, Jack Warden, the verdict. But then I auditioned as doing an imitation of that. That was the original mall voice that I had in my mind. Right. Like this, something here. Right. And they wanted it gravelly, I think as an homage to that famous uh, prank phone call guy named Red. Oh, right, right. Who was more like this? Yeah, Red Ma, how you doing? And he would threaten people. He would threaten this kid who made prank. That was a real thing. Right. I'll come down there, you. <laughs> and um, so they wanted gravelly. So Pacino gravelly becomes Mo somehow. You get Pacino gravelly equals Mo. Although Pacino gravelly yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Is this? Well, well, speaking of Pacino, the greatest scene in Heat. You're a part of it. People forget this. You're uh-huh. Ashley Chud's. Love her. And your line is great because it's with such disgust and contempt. You go, oh, I knew I shouldn't have got mixed up with that blank. And he goes, yeah, but she's got a great up. And you got your head all the way up it. Yes. And and the look on your face, tell me how many takes, how much was ad-libbed, how much did Pacino tell you? What he I've was told the to story do? a bunch, but it's it's worth retelling. <laughs> and before I do, though, by the way, let me, if Jim Brockmeyer oh, sure. interject, his favorite movie, movies by far are Godfather 1 and 2. Yeah. And, uh... I pretend though that Godfather Three just doesn't exist, Jim. I pre- but I, no, but I pretend that Jim, no, it's a, a home game. movie that Francis Ford Coppola made about his daughter, <laughs> and it belongs <laughs> it, to stay in his winery. Sleep with the fishes, right? Yes, Jim, I just Jim. pretend Goodfellas is Godfather Three. Oh, the best. Yes, um, but anyway, sure. yeah, we, Michael Mann movie Heat, great movie. Mike, Michael Mann, if he does one take, he does seven hundred and seventy-eight. Oh. Seriously, 
many, many. Yeah. You get a little cross-eyed, and Pacino was going on and on and on. And on one take, he just yelled. He, I think because he was flipping out, quite frankly. Instead of saying, right. she got a great ass, which is how he was doing it. Yeah. He went, what you see in the movie, <laughs> I don't want to blow my voice out, which I will, but he screams it, which scared the bee Jesus out of me. Genuinely. I wasn't acting, and I went, Jesus. Right. Like that. And he goes, ferocious, aren't I? Yes. And then that led to that. And it was the one, Michael Mann did not want me to ad lib at all, which now, at this point in my career, I have ad lib. I would just ad lib. I'd say, there's no way I'm doing 98 takes and not ad libbing, especially if Al is. And I think Al was probably annoyed that I wasn't. He was wanting somebody to go with him. Right. But that, of course, that one minorly ad lib moment made it into the movie. But go look at it. You'll see I'm terrified (laughs) and not acting. And I go, Jesus. Oh, it's great. And speaking of acting, I think that's what's underappreciated about you. The voices are so great. Yes, it is. No, but Jim, I'm telling you, there's <laughs> this guy, Hank Azaria, Tuesdays with Maury with Jack Lemmon. Like, that's a great dramatic role. And and did Jack Lemmon, by the way, really say magic time before every take? Every single no. take. That's, no, 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 no. No. And then every single take. Every single take. Take, take 32, uh, crying in the pocket. It was magic time. The most annoyed <laughs> I, magic time. The most annoyed I've ever been with a legend. Let's put it that way. And he's aware that it was annoying and right. was sort of apologetic about it, but he was truly OCD superstitious, superstitious about it. Right. And said he would um excuse me. Excuse me, I nearly vomited in my mouth. <laughs> no, Jim, I know it's I'm sorry. It's like brandy maybe or yeah, something. Yeah, it's I shouldn't have mixed the brandy with the creme de menthe and the absinthe. And the eight ball. But anyway, um, <laughs> he would try to switch it up. Yeah. Like he would he'd do it very low under his breath so to not annoy you. But he, and he would say like, Tempus Magicus or Le Tom Magique. He would say it in different languages. And I'd be like, Jack, you know what? In any language, it's, right. it's highly annoying. <laughs> but I get it. You got to do it. So just do what you got to do. You've earned it. Right. He's the best. Underrated about you is how great your stage work is. So many things are underrated about me. Well, that's true, Jim. Spamalot is big, but I love Mammoth. And you did sexual perversity in Chicago. In in London. Right. With Matthew Perry. How hard is it to do Mammoth? The repetition. Yeah, the it does take a lot of practice. It's sort of similar to Shakespeare in a way in that the words have a life of their own that you need to ride and service up to speed. So you have to get yourself there. But, you know, that's what rehearsal's for. We're actors. We're professionals. That is our job. Right. You know, in some ways, Jim Brackmire is very similar. It's a <laughs> lot of fast dialogue. It's delivered a very specific way, mm-hmm. and it's with a very specific rhythm, and it has to be on point and precise. And um, so, yeah, but it's something I enjoy doing, and I'm fairly good at. And then with Mamet, you know, the, probably the most brilliant Mamet actor I've ever seen, I had the good fortune of Montana? seeing it. Huh? Joe Montana? He was amazing. I saw him in Speed the Plow, that production with Ron Silver and Madonna, amazingly right. enough. Yeah. Uh, Bill Macy blew me away. Oh, yeah, it only because not only did he have all that rhythm, but there was such vulnerability and depth underneath all that coiled pattern. Anger Same way, you know, like what he brought to Jerry Lundegaard. <laughs> Jerry Lundegaard. It's like, how can you be that? Ma'am, I answered your question. How could you? I answered your question. I know. It's amazing. (laughs) Uh, Jim, I'm hosting baseball tonight, tonight, in fact. I don't know if you have. Oh, congratulations, Amber. I'm happy for you, especially as a Southern Asian man. (laughs) Hank Azaria has uh, helped belittle over you. Well, I was born and raised in Canada, Jim. I don't know if you have any stories about the Blue Jays. How do you think the Blue Jays are going to do this season? Toronto? I don't care uh, how the Blue Jays are going to do. Like most Americans, I could not care less about that north of the border baseball. If I have to make a prediction. I would go with the Giants. Early prediction, I'll go with the Giants. Because, okay. uh, yeah, you know, like a deadhead in the middle of a guitar solo of Uncle John's band, I think they're going to peak, peak jacket. Oh, man, I just got finished saying how you have to be on point vocally as Jim Brockmeyer, and I completely punted that one. You realize you have so, to peak just at the right moment. I can't imagine, Jim, how annoyed you must be. You're a famous man. People come up to you. They must do all these voices to you. And now everywhere you're going to Jim Brockmeyer. Jim I, that have, I'm hoping in success to have that happen. It's a great show. Wednesday, April 5th, Brockmire and IFC. I've seen all eight episodes, so I say it with conviction. It is hysterical, and like I said, it has a lot of heart. And if you love baseball, as I do, I think you'll appreciate the love of baseball that you have being a gigantic Mets fan. But even if you don't like sports, it's just really funny because he's a drug addict and an alcoholic who's trying to do better for himself, and it's a viral sensation. It's a very contemporary show, which I appreciate. It's You know, to, the most important thing to me was it hard laughs. It has to be 
muscularly funny is the way I think of it. Right. He's trying to give Brent Musburger a mustache. Oh, he is with his. Uh, hey, for you kids watching at home, he's trying to do it with his. <laughs> it's uh, it's a heartwarming tale. And tell it to your kids before they go to bed at night. Breakneck schedule too, Brockmar. 22 days, I think. You did your homework, Emily. <laughs> 22 <laughs> days to shoot eight episodes. That's 2.75 <laughs> days per episode. That's inconceivable. We had some days where we shot 16 pages in a day. I don't know if, if your listeners understand. <laughs> My record before that in 30 years was I think I did 10 pages one day. Yeah. We had two 16-page days, a few 14-page days. Our average was 12. There was and and this Jim Brockman never shuts up. And unlike my last <laughs> little quote, I actually got it right most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I had I memorized it. You know, you mentioned Mehmet. I had to memorize it like a play. I had to memorize enormous chunks. Not that you look. I'm not you know wanting no. any special credit no, for but this. It's, it's it is my work. job. As far as actors go, it's hard work. There was hey. no margin for error. Is the thing like I couldn't right. mess up, nor could camera, right? Nor could sound. You know, the writing had to be, we had to be set with what we were doing. The director needed to storyboard pretty much what we were shooting. Right. Because it, we just, we only had 12 hours to get a lot every day. It's a great show. Brockmire, Wednesday, April 5th. The wonderful Hank Azari. Kind of to join us here on Cinephile, the Odd Man Burke Movie Podcast. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me. I thought he was fabulous. Like I said, going into that podcast, I knew he was going to be great. He was great afterwards. Uh, at the end... I had forgotten that sometimes we present them with a shirt. Kevin Hart actually had a good exchange with us when we gave him the cinephile shirt because he kind of mocked the fact that it was just so gigantic on him that he was going to be swimming in it. I actually forgot because Hank was so great in the moment but forgot to present it to him on the air. Off the air as he was leaving, I said, oh, Hank, I forgot. Here's a shirt for you. And he looked at it, and then he sees the back, the four maple leaves. He's like, well, yeah. And again, he just goes right to Brockport. He's like, well, I really pushing that Canada thing here. And I'm like, God, nobody cares. <laughs> Which is exactly what Jim Brockport would say. Like 70s baseball and like, wait, we, we have a team north of the border. I, I, I'm not so good with customs. Um, but as soon as we were done, he said, Hey, thanks for saying that about the Apu thing. And I was like, yeah, no, I said, I know you've taken a lot of heat. If you, if you Google Hank Azaria or, uh, Indian Americans upset about Apu depiction, like it, that stuff comes up right away. And I thought his answer was very candid and it was fair. Like if at the time in 88, if it was the only one you go, hang on, we're not all, you know, cheap convenience store owners. But like I said, I think he's a smart guy in the show and it's satirical and it's funny and if he had meant to do the accent, and I, I know I didn't want to put Hank on the spot, but I'm like, I bet you if I said, can you give me an Indian accent? He'd be like, yeah, and he would have done a better one. The Quickie Mart is, like he said, very broad. When I said that, I go, it's a little broad as you get, to say the least. Like, I'm doing it as broad as I can. Even I'd done some research. So he goes, I just had seen some, whatever, Indian, Pakistani convenience store owners in L.A. Like, it wasn't like I did in-depth research. They just go, what do you got? And I was like, yeah, okay. And, and like, as you can tell, he's a mimic. So he just, you, you say, hey, do do Irish Catholic Dan Stanzik. And bam, he would be able to give you a Dan Stanzik. Like, he just, whatever the voice is. I, I And that's why I didn't want to do, like, Dance Monkey. But honestly, he's one of those guys you can go, South African accent, boom. Australian accent, boom. Zimbabwe. Like, Hank Azari could do it all. We should ask for his Michael Caine. <laughs> oh, no! Oh, that's a big oh, miss no! by us. I guarantee he does a Michael. Oh, we got to get. Hey, come back. I know you're on Sports Center. Get back here. We're going to hear your Michael Caine. Oh, I bet you Hank would have been unbelievable. Oh, there's always something missing. Like, that was like 20 great minutes, and now we're like, we blew the entire interview. We didn't get Michael Caine. Who cares about Pacino and Heat? Could have just Michael you Caine also didn't was... yell Attica at him either. No, I, I, I was waiting for it. But he was so guy, he's so good, right? He was nailing that mid seventies Pacino, and then on a dime went to mid nineties Pacino. I, I felt bad as soon as he said, "I've told the story a lot." I was worried he wasn't didn't want to tell the heat story, but thankfully, pros pro just went ahead and told the story. But that was great. That Pacino killed all these takes and eventually just screams in his face. That was, that was my thought. I could just like, You look genuinely appalled at the way Pacino screams at you. Was that true? And now we know the truth. Yes, he was like, oh, we're on take 97. No more of this. I didn't want to list all those lines. Remember when Christopher Guest was here, I started listing lines to the movie. He's like, like seriously, people want to watch the movie. But but I think that sells it. Like when, when you say some of these lines, you're like, oh, my God. Like it, one, of, one of Kirchner's lines, too, like there's a montage where they're talking about Brockmeyer. And that's where he says eventually he'd get buzzed enough. He'd start bringing up Godfather references. And, like, they have – if you've seen the Funny or Die shorts, which I encourage people to see, like, watch the show. It's hysterical. Uh, I'm giving it four Maple Leafs. But if you want to just go to the Funny or Die to get a taste of it, 
It's really good. He also, by the way, on the way out, I said, Brian Kenny's really good in the show. My old buddy here, he used to do the 6 p.m. Sports Center. And he said, yeah, Brian Kenny has a line. He's talking to Amanda Pete. And Amanda Pete in the show is like, oh, my God, I'm so excited to talk to Brian Kenny. I'm such a big baseball nerd because she's the owner of the team that Hank is broadcasting for. And the line that Brian Kenny says, because there's a lot of escorts at the place. Brian Kenny goes, hey, listen, I enjoy talking baseball with you more than any other escort, but I've got to be honest, I'm a married man. And I said to Hank, I go, he nailed that line. He goes, oh, he goes, he was like Joe. He goes, like, Brian Kenny, like, he he was dialed in. It was your boy Kirkjian was Kirkjian. Like, he was, like, I don't, I think he would have broken character. But, like, Brian Kenny nailed that line. And he goes, I'm, I was not joking about Joe Buck. He goes, I think he could do more. Goes, I don't know how much range he has. He goes, but that smug, sarcastic guy, he goes, like, bang on. Like, so maybe we'll get Joe on the podcast sometime. I've never met him. I'm a huge fan of him and his dad, of course. Uh, so really good stuff there from Hank Azaria. Once again, check out Brock Meyer Wednesday, April 5th on IFC. Ken Jong, Dr. Ken, make sure you check it on ABC. Very nice guy. And I've got a terrific story on the back end after you listen to this about an amusing incident with Ken once the interview was over. You're listening to Cinephile, the Adnan Verk movie podcast. It is a real thrill to have Ken Jong here with us in studio. I feel like I should still call you Dr. Ken. We'll get to the show in a second, but you are a doctor, so you should always be Dr. Ken Jong. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. Like, uh, it, it, there were, it, when, I, when I first started acting, there, there were people would ask me, do you want your name in the credits to be Dr. Ken Jong? And then, but after a while, if I was, but, uh, but I'm also an actor. I didn't, you know, I don't play a doctor in every movie. Mr. Chow wasn't a doctor, so right. I didn't. It would be kind of awkward where it's like Mr. Child played by Ken Jeong, comma, MD, comma, PhD, you know, comma, JD, right. comma, GED. It's just, it's just a little right. – it, it, it's like Larry the Cable Guy, attorney at law. You don't need that, you know? Right. He does yeah. happen to have those credentials. Yeah, he just happened to have it. Yeah, so, so I made the conscious decision to take the doctor off then. I think it would be great <laughs> because – especially with something like The Hangover because yeah. it was such a great role and people go, oh, my God, the guy who was naked and jumped out of the – out of the trunk, he's actually an accredited doctor. He could, could commit surgery on you. I think it's just too much information to absorb because the character is just so over the top. Like they, they have enough chow in their face that, that they're just kind of like, you know, if if I process that he's an actual MD, my head will explode. So I <laughs> I felt like you're you're giving them you're giving them the doses of of kind of like this you know the, the, this comedy tincture, just like you know just you know just just spoonfuls at a time. You don't right. need to you don't need to overload the flavor. One of the many reasons I could never be an actor. You know, people try to draw parallels. They go, you're a broadcaster. It's right, kind of like right. acting. I go, no, it's not, actually. I get information. I relay the information. Acting, you're in a different role. You have to assume a different identity. And one of the many reasons I could never do it is you have to be unabashed. You have to have you know, that lack of self-consciousness. The fact that you were naked in The Hangover. I, I read that that was actually your idea yeah. to do like, – Listen, it's one thing yeah. like, like what, what, what was the reason behind it? You just go, this is going to be a lot more explosive if I'm running around naked. Well, it's it, Todd Phillips, uh, who wrote and directed Hangover, also wrote and directed Old School. Right. And it's like it was really more off of um, more inspired by Will Ferrell, like streaking naked in Old School. OK. So to me, it was off the tone of the movie. And then reading the script halfway in the middle of Hangover, it's the, the Will Pack have already – I've already met Mike Tyson. I've already seen the Tiger. Right. So it's kind of like to ratch up the, like what the hell happened. <laughs> right. Right. You know, to even give it a more to up the stakes, to up the already enhanced, elevated stakes even more. Right. I felt like that was more like icing, you know, like icing on the on the, on the cake, you know. Right. Whereas, like, wow, and, and what is this guy who? And then, but it's funny, like to your point of like being a broadcaster versus an actor when the camera's on. You know, like to play a character like Mr. Chow, you just have to really commit and be a different guy, you know, right. for lack of a better word. You're acting. You have to really – you're not yourself anymore. And because in real life, I don't really – I'm not an exhibitionist. I don't go to nude beaches. I don't – like in at work at Kaiser, I didn't jump out of exam rooms naked. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like I had a lot of practice you know, like, you know, oh, he's a nudist guy. No, right, I'm actually right. – I actually don't even like taking off my shirt at the beach. I mean – but it's funny when you're in a character, it people do say like on set, you know, I was like – when the camera's on, I was like a different guy. And when the camera's off, I was back to like, oh, oh, was that okay, Todd? Right. Was that good? Mild-mannered Ken. Mild-mannered Ken. <laughs> so everyone's always shocked. 40 you know. takes to do it? Is that right? Yeah, it was about 40 takes that day. Like, before, yeah, in front of the camera and behind – yeah, it was, it was a crazy cold day. <laughs> 
I'm amazed how he did it. Mm. Knocked Up is the movie that, you know, it was your break. And it was a break for so many people in terms yeah. of it was able to see what Judd Apatow was able to yeah. do. Uh, Catherine Heigl, of yeah. course, you know. Seth uh, Rogen. Seth Rogen. I mean, that yeah. whole that whole comedy trip took off from that. What is it you remember about the movie now? Because we have the benefit of hindsight to be able to go look back. And, and I know you probably don't have that sense during the filming of the movie it's going to be a hit. That That's probably tough to do. But did you at least have a sense, hey, you know, what we're doing here is working. I don't know if it's going to resonate necessarily, but what I think we're doing is working. Or, yeah. or were you such a neophyte? You were like, "Hey, I'm just happy to be working, and whatever they want me to do, I'll do it." Well, it's funny. I, I did that. I did that movie while I still had my day job. I still had like I was You're doing still a vacation. A yeah, right. I just auditioned. I just lucked out and got that role, and right. and I auditioned like anybody else for it, and I just hit the jackpot. I mean, Judd Apatow opened the doors for me, and then I always say, "Knocked up, opened the doors," and the hangover just burst it wide open. Right. And so um, while filming it, no, definitely there was a sense of like this is. This felt huge, and and it felt like it was the biggest part I had ever had, and 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 that whole third act is about my character, like you know, delivering the baby, and my character being kind of this obstacle for their happiness, you know, because it was not the gynecologist that they wanted. Mm-hmm. So there was um no, it, 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 like you, to your point, it felt like a groundswell of something, but mm-hmm. I you weren't really sure until until the movie came out, but it definitely it definitely felt like okay um. To the point where my wife was like, she just saw me like react to that experience. Like it felt, it felt time to leave, you know, medicine. And then my wife was like, you, it was like a college coach telling the player to go pro. It's you, you got to go pro. So if anything, I wanted to, out of practicality, I was a, I was a partner at my HMO and I, you know, making a six figure salary till the day I die, you know, I was right. tenured there. Yeah. So it was kind of like, um, it was a big decision. I and it took a lot for me to think about that and, and uh but I but it was my wife that really put it over the top and she was like, If you don't quit now, you'll never quit and you know this is your passion. Right. You'll just never do it and I don't want you being resentful of yourself or me mm-hmm. the rest of your life. So, you know, whether you succeed or fail, um you know, you got to take your shot right now. So it was really her encouragement. But I think that's great because how old were you at the time? I was in mid-30s, yeah. yeah. See, often when you hear these stories, it's always I was 18, I dropped out of college, and I went to L.A. to become an actor. Right. This can happen at any age for anybody. And yeah. I'm sure part of it in your head, you're like, I, I'm tenured. I've got a really good job. I've got a wife, yeah. a family, et cetera. And you go, am I really going to work at this? Am I just going to be a one-trick pony? So that, right. it took a lot of no. guts. I think that's a good lesson for other people to go, listen, it doesn't matter if you're 35. If that's where your passion lies, then follow that passion. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've always, yeah, I've always considered myself a late bloomer, especially in show business, uh, very much so. And um, and you just didn't know what to expect. But looking back, that, that was about like 10 years ago now, nine, 10 years ago. And so I feel, looking back, I feel like such a blessing in disguise for me because – I had, I have lived a life before the Hangover, Knocked Up, or Community, right. the show I was on before, or Doctor Ken. So, yeah. so it's like I had actually lived a life before having a new life, and and in a way that helped me deal with the stresses of this new life. Yeah, we're, we're talking to Ken Jong. Of course, you can see Doctor Ken on ABC. You know, part of what I think your appeal is as well as this, because within the community, you know, we're starting to see more Asian actors. And what we have, we have a podcast here, actually, and I was joking. They finally had me on. Crush Off the Bench? Yeah. Yeah, Carrie, yeah. Right, and, and they're great. And, yeah. I, and when I was laughing, they go, hey, you know, South Asia is a part of Asia, too. Like, when people think Asia, Absolutely. they always go Chinese, Japanese. They go, hey, I want it. India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. Like, we're all part of this huge yeah. continent. Absolutely. And what's happening now is with Fresh Off the Boat, which is great to see yeah. the, the, the success of that Absolutely. show. And uh, Nanachka Khan, the way she's developed that, and Constance yes. with the Hulk, like, they're terrific. Yes, yes. And, but you're also seeing now... Aziz Ansari and other Asian actors yeah. and other you know, comedians developing. What I want to ask you is this. How does it feel? Because I don't – trailblazer isn't the right word, but I think you're a part of this movement that is growing and it's growing by extension. And I think in the past, someone sees and they go, hmm, Ken Jeong. Okay, what kind of accent does he speak? Where is he from? And now they go, no, no, he's right. American. He's a doctor. He's, right. he's done all these other things. Right. How does it feel to be at this tipping point? Well, to me – it's funny, um, like Randall Park from Fresh right. Off the Boat is a good friend of mine. I've guest starred on Fresh right. Off the Boat a few times, and Anishka Khan has become a friend of mine as well. I really, it's, I, I think success begets other success. Like in the case of Fresh Off the Boat, if it wasn't for them, right. uh, like I wouldn't have my own show on the air, and, and it's something that um, they've inspired me to to do my own show and to do it in my own voice. And and um, I don't know, I I, I just think. Um, 
people like, and especially like Aziz, Master of None is one of my favorite shows, yeah. and it, like especially that actor episode, right? You know, oh, yeah, yeah, is yeah. W- 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 it is one of the most inspiring <laughs> Asian actor. I mean, probably the quintessential. If you want to know about like <laughs> Asian American actors and South Asian American sure. actors in the business, right? And 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 that whole episode was probably the best episode about the struggle of, of, of uh, underneath all the jokes were was just how it's it's a sad commentary right. on on Asian Americans and acting you know and 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 um it's to me the more you talk everyone talks about diversity and, and and what I like about the state of it is right now you're getting to see even other Asian Americans who are very diverse I'm different from Randall Randall's different and I'm different from Aziz like we're we're all very there's diversity among diversity, right? And so I, I think that that right now what people are seeing is like it's not what accent you're going to do. It's like okay, what kind of what kind of show is this? What kind of tone? You know, and I pride myself on my versatility where I can play a character like Mr. Chow that's really over the top, or play a character like Ken Park. Right. You know, and and another thing that's often overlooked is you know, um, you, you know, I created the show, right? And I write on the show. I executive produce the show. I wear five or six different hats. I am the show, and and I think you're going to see more of that. And it really is like you know, just like fresh off the boat, we have five Asian American actors that are series regulars. That you know, with the person who plays my father on the show, he's been in, Dana Lee. He told me I've been in the business for 40 years. I've never been a series regular on a show. Yeah. And so to have his moment, you know, you realize like it's amazing. But having said that, you don't get into the business. To be an activist, you don't get go into activism. You don't. I am in the business because I'm an artist, mm-hmm. and you don't. You want to make a statement through your art. If you want to make a statement, make a statement, make a statement, and be a broadcaster or be an activist. But you're making a statement through your art. And I, what I'm very proud of, Dr. Ken, is that it's a very silently progressive show. We just did an episode last week on gay marriage, and like where, where Ken's best friend Clark gets married to his longtime fiance Connor. We don't make a big deal out of it. We don't say, oh, my gay friend is getting gay married or it's like, no, my friend is getting married. It's wonderful. And and like we're two Asian – like my wife in real life, Vietnamese and a doctor. My wife on Dr. Ken, I'm Korean. She's Japanese and she's also a physician. Mm-hmm. So when we talk, we you know, I, I take great pains to simulate the dialogue as if me and my wife were really talking. So it's like how was your day? Oh, I had a reflux. It's like how was your day? I mean – you, you definitely you don't want to feel like it's written by a white dude, you know. That was like, oh, how's your day? Oh, I had Asian reflux on this Asian day, <laughs> being an Asian doctor working in an American San Fernando Valley. <laughs> so you you really you really want to. My philosophy of my show, and, and it's different for every show. Sure. My philosophy is like, don't preach me a sermon, show me. So to me, we have just quietly progressed this kind of quiet agenda that I'm so proud of that we don't make a big deal out of it and we've normalized it so so like it, it's just something i'm ex- i'm extremely proud of and and people who watch the show and follow it they y- y- you see a philosophy of that show that's just very organic and artistic and, and and subtle you know that that a lot of people don't know me for being subtle you know <laughs> but but in a way i've used that mainstream accessibility to kind of subtly pursue this you know, my own message of philosophy. Yeah. Is ownership the answer then? Because when you're an actor, if you're an Asian American actor, you're going to get typecast. Okay. It's Korean grocery store owner. It's cab driver for me or convenience store, whatever it is. Is the answer that, okay, you take those roles because you have no choice and you're an actor. I've got to act. I've got to take whatever they give me. And eventually I create a modicum of success that then I can have ownership and accountability. Like you said, because Dr. Ken is your own creation because you built up enough equity and then had your own creativity to write the script, et cetera, go with it. Is that the answer? Because what is the answer if there's an Asian-American actor who says, Ken, I'm trying to break out of the stereotype, but I can't do it. The casting directors are only giving me these stereotypical roles. I mean everybody ha- – what I've learned and like John Cho's a good friend of mine yep. and Randall's a good friend of mine. Every- what I've learned is everybody's path is different. Your path to being here at ESPN is different than other – even South Asian broadcasters to their path to their – everyone's got a different, unique journey. So far be it from me to be – I really don't – I don't believe in one algorithm of success in this business that – of which there are no 
to find algorithms. She must have had a hundred offers know? from Mr. Chow type characters after Hangover. Sure. And party has to go, okay, maybe, but I don't want to do this the rest of my life. I don't want to just play the stereotype. Well, it's just to me, it's funny. My buddy Jeff Yang, his, his son Hudson, mm-hmm. who's the lead of Fresh Off the Boat, I mean, he, he, he covered me with the rights for the uh, for Wall Street Journal. And he, right. he, I remember he interviewed me for a junket. And I think he, when you play a character like Mr. Chow, you're, you're really doing a meta joke because you're not like, not a lot of naked Asians jump out of trunks. It, it's so. It's so deliberately over the top where you're puncturing the stereotype. Like I, I was, th- th- was such a, it was such a small role uh, in the first movie that you're, and and it was so poorly defined <laughs> that I would just, I literally just improvise whatever the hell I wanted to do. Right. So I would be, I actually would. There, there are a lot of in jokes in the first movie where I'm speaking Vietnamese to my wife, and no one knows that. Like, I was like, I say, um, I like, like, got chick, like, release black dog, and got chick means, Vietnam, in Vietnamese means chicken die. So I was deliberately spraying some, come on, where I say that in the first movie, actually means Vietnamese for thank you. Right. And it sounds like come on. Right. But it, I'm actually saying right. thank you in Vietnamese. So it's right. like, there, I was having a lot of fun puncturing the, st- Jeff Yang said it right, he just, he, Ken took the role of Mr. Chow and just and shattered that stereotype through a ceiling right. and just shattered it because that was the only way to play that role. Right. And, 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 and you just play it strongly and you just play it like, you know, with the point of view of – to me, it's a, Mr. Chow is a very is – a, is a, you're commenting on the stereotype and making fun of the stereotype that a lot of Asian actors take. And so it's a lot of – you know, and it's funny like – since then, yeah, there have been some a lot, plenty of offers, and and um, but I don't really. I remember one. There was one TV project where I like was playing a doctor, and uh, and they were just like, um, I remember my manager was like, hey, I, no, no accent, you know. And then so I go there, and they just like, so when you do the accent, you're gonna be no, I'm not doing, you know. And there, right. And it is very gratifying to have the to have that strength of like, no, I'm not going. We agreed not to do the action. I know we said it, but we're hoping we, you know, is that whole kind of thing. And <laughs> and I'm like, we said it, but hey, could you just do one like or, that? Or, 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 or right. I know there's been right. some debate about it. And, it, and no. yes, I, I, I definitely tell you there is there is a great sense of empowerment, just calmly, without being mad, right? And just calmly, just saying, no, we, we agree to do this, and you know, and and I'm happy to. If another person would like to do this role, fine, far be it from me. I'm, sure. But this is the way, you know. With all due respect, I'm going to play it, and and we agree to that, and you know, and you know, just to politely and respectfully, like, there's a lot of strength in that. And then, and on my own show, like, I remember in the first season, there was like a writer, a white writer, who who you pitch in, in all defense in a writer's room, you just pitch jokes, whether they're good or not, whether they're offensive or not, whether they're politically correct or not. You pitch a bunch of jokes, and then. And it is great to be in charge of that and as one of the main executive producers, if not the main one. And then they, they pitch a, like a dog joke. And it's, it is great to tell the never on my damn set will anyone pitch a dog joke. I mean do you really think Asians are going to talk – in right. the real of that, to, to have that kind of – to have that kind of confidence, power, and also the resume to back it up and then everyone like, oh, he's in charge. Right. So it's it, that kind of – those kind of things are empowering. I think – so for me, real estate and equity is a big part of it. I mean, for other for other people, they could just have a breakout role and and they don't need to have that equity. So I, right. I, I think it's different strokes for different folks. And and you know, but for me, you know, I think the more say I have behind the scenes, I think is uh, at this point in my career is is lovely. Oh, no yeah. question. People yeah. should check out Dr. Ken. And as we close, a sports thought. You went to Duke, but then yeah. went to UNC for medical school. Yeah. So you are not cheering against North Carolina in the Final Four. Say it again. You will not be cheering for North Carolina in the Final Four, even though you went to medical school there because you went to Duke for your undergrad. Is that, that correct? That is absolutely correct. As far as far as uh, <laughs> as far as uh, you know, I mean, North Carolina. If, if North Carolina med school had a basketball team in the Final Four, I'd root for them. There are some urologists with sweet J's, but I think that 
to me, you know, it's just like anybody else. Your undergrad colors is where is where you where you make your bed, you know. But having said that, you know, I'm mellowed out in my mid forties, and I mean, North Carolina has a hell of a team, and you know, Roy Williams is a class act, and quite no, frankly, see, now you're sounding like one of us. Now, now you're just, I know, deep in your heart, Ken, you do not want to see them win. I now grew up, a, uh, no, I don't, but I, I do think that, <laughs> but I wasn't always that way growing up as a kid. Like I was the biggest Carolina fan, and right. I grew up rooting for Michael Jordan and you know James Worthy right. and of that ilk. And I remember going to Duke because I grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina. Right. I had like light blue wallpaper on my bedroom, and I was like, yeah. I was actually worried when I got into Duke, will I be able to be a Duke fan? And once you go to Cameron, yeah. I tell you, man, if you're a student at Duke and you go to Cameron and you're not a Duke fan, there's something biologically, medically wrong with you. <laughs> and I should know because I'm a freaking doctor. There is just no way. <laughs> You can't be wonderfully brainwashed by being a Cameron crazy. I mean, I started cheers against King Rice back in the day. It was like, to me, you know, that just, it's every, I mean, to me, Cameron is sports. Cameron is comedy. Cameron is like, I've, it's informed my whole life. You know, it's like a big heckles. It's like, it's like a, it's like a world famous heckle zone. Right. You know, it's like, and, and, and the, and the, and the more creative you are, you're rewarded. <laughs> right. That's the you best know? part of it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Thank you Thank so you. much for coming by. Ken John, make sure you check him out. So, uh, Dan knows how, uh, obsessed, Petulant, I am about the name check. And for the record, Hank walked in. I don't know if he knew me. Like as, as Dan pointed out on Greeny and Golick, he was making jokes about Greeny looking like Dick Clark, like he's has an age and Golick's losing weight. So I don't know if he walked in like, hey, I saw you last night on baseball tonight. But he definitely gave like a look of recognition. He said my name perfectly, which was great. So the name check right out of the gate. And Ken Jong, when he walked in, name check. I'm like, hey, Ken, how are you? I'm Adnan. He goes, hey, Adnan, great to see you. I'm like, all right, good. Maybe he's seen me. Maybe he hasn't. But no, he hasn't, because I was alerted last night. Uh, Lisa Kearney does a lovely job on SportsCenter. She sees me in the makeup chair. She goes, oh, they were talking about you on Rosillo and Canal. I said, see, I love when this happens. She goes, why? I go, because I should give those guys like a, a percentage because they keep me alive in the public zeitgeist. Like I don't I'm, – I'm not uh, delusional. I'm sure baseball tonight, 1245 a.m., ESPN2, I don't know how much is being seen. But Danny and Ryan are always mentioning me. Even if it's insulting, it's fine. Like, hey, whatever. Virk said this the other day. Adnan did this. So I said, oh, what did they say now? What were they making fun of? Was the laugh stuff again? She goes, no, apparently you interviewed Ken Jong." I said, yeah, did they? Yeah, they got him right after me. She goes, why? And she goes, well, apparently Ken Jong when he walked in, Danny and Ryan go, how's it going? Like, how's the day? Been? He's like, pretty good. He goes, who'd you just, talk? did you just knock an interview? He said, yeah, I was just talking to Arash. And apparently, the canal for a sec was like, Arash Markazi's here? Who, by the way, does a fabulous job on ESPNLA.com. Check out Arash's work. Great unboxing. In particular, he's great at all sports. And Rasilla immediately was like, I don't think Arash Markazi is here. I'm pretty sure it's Adnan. <laughs> they then started talking with the Serial Podcast. Apparently, there was a lengthy conversation about me and my name. But, yeah, I, I was so happy. I'm like, yeah, oh, Ken nailed it. Even even on the way out, I'm like, can I get a picture? I'm like, yeah. Kind of an awkward hug. Like, I shook his hand. And he's kind of like, he went like the half hug. I'm like, oh, yeah. He shook his hand again. I'm like, all right, okay, whatever. I'm like, Dan, get him a shirt. We forgot the Cinephile shirt. I love that. I'd say once every month you'll tweet oh. back at someone who thinks you're Dari Noka or Kevin Nagandi. <laughs> it's always gold. Yeah, I don't like. I think some of the guys get a little offended by. It. I don't. I. I. It's music. I don't. It's. And I will say, people would take more offense to that if a white guy had done that to you. But because right. Ken Jong's Asian American, <laughs> like, is that? I agree. Is I it think, acceptable? I agree. I think that makes it funnier. Like if Mark Wahlberg had done that, I'm like, well, what's with Mark Wahlberg? Like, dude, come on. Lovely bones. What have we got? But the fact it was Ken Jong, I'm like, well, okay, well, fellow minority also typecasting me with another fellow minority name. Kind of funnier. Thanks to Ken Jong and Hank Azari. Both those guys were unbelievable. A quick review of a movie. I have not seen a ton. I'll be honest. I did not go see Beauty and the Beast. I'm not interested in seeing it. I'm sure it's a nice little movie. Uh, some would argue, well, you're cinephile. You're the movie guy. I'm like, mm, until Dan and I get paid for this, until we're like registered film accredited people, then I would feel it's my job. But right now it's not my job. This is just me and Dan hanging out talking movies. So if I don't want to see Beauty and the Beast, I'm not going to go see Beauty and the Beast. I did watch The Assignment. Uh, talk about disturbing movies. Michelle Rodriguez plays an assassin. And the first 10 minutes of the movie, I'm like, wait, this character is a man, and it looks a lot like Michelle Rodriguez. So I had to wait till the end credits, because it is Michelle Rodriguez just with a beard. Plays this assassin. Sigourney Weaver's this evil doctor. Tony Shalhoub is the cop who's a, excuse me, the doctor who's a, a talking to her, investigating her, et cetera. Uh, so Shalhoub and Sigourney Weaver are kind of one section of the movie, and then Michelle Rodriguez is this hitman. Wait for it. Gets caught as part of the surgery. 
wakes up one day. And by the way, there's a full frontal nudity scene, if you're into that. So there is a little bit of male nudity. And then wakes up one day and it's like, oh, my God. Clutches her chest, goes to the private area, turned into a woman. Gets a phone call, Sigourney Weaver torturing the hitman and is now, as the punishment, made this man, made this hitman into a hit woman. This is the assignment. I'm like, all right, so we're, we're, we are going to just go ahead and suspend reality. Sigourney was like, no, listen, I, did a, I thought I did a good job with you. Look at my, look at my work here. Like, and you get full frontal Michelle Rodriguez if you're into that because then she's like, oh, wait, hang on. What happened to all this stuff? And then now all of a sudden you're going to look for bloodthirsty vengeance. So it should be noted, if you're looking for like a really cerebral film, this isn't the one for you. But if you want a B-movie schlock fest, it's got some good violence, some good gunplay, some over-the-top scenes. You know, I like it a little bit, that movie Shoot 'Em Up. I know Dan will correctly point out I'm just biased to Giamatti, but Clive Owen, Monica Bellucci, Giamatti, it was just a fun action movie. Giamatti's tearing it up over the top. Like it's, it's in that vein, okay? So if you just want a good action movie with some good dialogue, and Sigourney Weaver surprisingly good as the, the chilling villainous doctor. Like when, when's the last time Sigourney Weaver made a movie? You're like, oh, I got to go check that out. Been a while since Aliens was in theaters. So, <laughs> working girl. So, uh, interesting now what kind of choices she's making, but I thought she did a good job with it, playing the sinister doctor. And I love Tony Shalhoub. He's in the movie as well, uh, interrogating her and stuff. So, check out the assignment. I'm giving it two and a half Maple Leafs, but I say that with the caveat. Listen, do not expect uh, Ben-Hur here. Just go in there expecting an action movie, fun, schlocky. If, you, if that's not your thing, you'll think it's a terrible movie. But if you want to be loose about it, that's fine. We're going to hope to try to get the vaunted director, by the way, 75-year-old Walter Hill, on the next edition of Cinephile. He's the director of the assignment. If you don't know his filmography, 48 Hours is the major one. The Warriors um, also directed Wild Bill, was a producer on Aliens. He directed Deadwood, the show which I love on HBO. He won an Emmy, in fact, for directing that. So... Hopefully we're going to get Walter Hill next week on Cinephile talking with this new film, The Assignment, which right now is available on demand. It opens in theaters on April 7th. Streaming suggestions. On Netflix, speaking of heavy hitting, it was Spielberg's masterpiece. Schindler's List is available right now on Netflix. came out in 1993. I, I thought it was interesting. Somebody tweeted me recently, what are some movies that are great which you have no interest in seeing ever again? Because if I remember, Ben Lyons, our friend, said that about Silence, uh, which, by the way, is now available on DirecTV, and I believe will be on DVD shortly. So I'm going to go watch that again. Um, so he said Silence, and he said uh, There Will Be Blood, which I completely disagree with him on. I disagree with him on both, obviously. I've already seen Silence twice. I'm going to see it a third time. I would disagree with him on There Will Be Blood, which I love. Uh, but he also said United 93, which I agree with Ben. Like, that's a very good, serious movie, but I would never watch it again. So that was an, actually an interesting subgenre of tweets I started getting of what are some great movies that you'd never want to watch again. Not even great movies, just movies you saw once and watched it again. So I said The Deer Hunter, which I'll get to in a second. That's on HBO now. Um, but Schindler's List, somebody said that, and I said, no, actually, I, I, I enjoyed the rewatchability of it. And I was like, what do you mean? How could you enjoy rewatching a film about the Holocaust? And I said, well, all great movies are meant to be enjoyed. A Million Dollar Baby is a sad, depressing movie, but I love seeing it again because of the emotion that it stirs up within you. And for Schindler's List, it is such an extraordinary story, and the storytelling, and the acting. I mean, I love that the different levels of it. Like, Ray Fiennes, this was his breakthrough. Like, it's amazing. If you go back now, watch Schindler's List, you go, this is Ray Fiennes before everything else he ever did. And he is the picture of villainy. Like, there is nobody worse. He wakes up, grabs his gun, just starts shooting people. Um, and then Ben Kingsley is the absolute picture of goodness. You know, this list. You know, think of what, how many people you've saved with this list. Like, Ben Kingsley is a saint. Kingsley's an amazing actor. He, he can either play saint or play demon. Either he plays Gandhi or Schindler's List or he plays like sexy beast. And he's just like a vile person. Like that very few can go that bipolar level. And then Liam Neeson, who I think is most people, which is has some flaws, but essentially good hearted. And earlier on, you see Oscar. All he cares about is his cognac and making a little bit of money. And maybe initially he's helping the Jews to, because of financial gain. But then eventually is hit by the moment and stricken by his conscience. And some mild criticism of the film that you know, critics loved it for good reason because it was so subtle and restrained, especially for Spielberg. You go, wow, like it, this was his first true serious movie. He tried it with Hook, which did not do well. I don't think it's a very good movie. It was a real disappointment. But it's, you know, uh, this is the guy who made E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark and all these fun movies, Jurassic Park. And like Schindler's List, really, Stephen? Like you don't have to prove that you're a great director by making this serious drama about your people and your lineage. But he knocked it out of the park. And one of the reasons why is because it's so subtle and it, it is so restrained. The one bit of blowback, though, is that scene where he says, I could have done more. 
You know, that this watch could have saved more lives. I, I, I thought it was an impactful scene. I thought you kind of needed that bubbling up over. But I know some, it's interesting. Go back and watch it again. Maybe you'll find that scene sticks out a little bit. You go, oh, that was the only scene where Spielberg's heartstrings kind of came into it, a little bit of cloying. Uh, the rest of it, though, is, is, is beautiful filmmaking, gorgeously shot in black and white. Only time you see color, of course, is that one little girl in the red jacket. And then later on, you see all the, uh, the carnage and you see that red spot. And you go, oh, my goodness, the, the little girl's being burned. Um, and, of course, very moving ending, I thought. As well, so check out Schindler's List if you haven't seen it in a long time. I still think it's it's worthy of watching. But maybe you're one who thinks great movies you wouldn't want to watch again. Great movies you wouldn't want to watch again, Dan. Any that come to you? I don't know about great movies, but Lincoln. I think we've talked yeah. about before. Saw it once, never need to see it again. Yeah, why is that? Because I thought it was really good too, but I wouldn't watch it again either. Like Daniel Day Lewis was uncanny, great performance. But you know, there's no particular scene I'd want to watch again. Tommy Lee Jones is all right, but I'm like, no, I got it. Like I'd, I'd rather read the uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin book. I'm like, all right, I got it. Uh, also available on first ever Doris Kearns Goodwin reference here on <laughs> Cinephile. Tropic Thunder is available on Netflix. Speaking of really funny movies, I, th- I think I've recommended this before, but you know what? Go watch it. Maybe you didn't recommend it, but enough. Tom Cruise, really funny. Ben Stiller, amazing. It's a real parody of Platoon. And Robert Downey Jr. was nominated for an Oscar, if you can believe it. That's how good he is in it. Hulo, Sur- uh, Searching for Bobby Fischer. This is the Tim Kirchner edition because he has often said to me, one of his favorite movies is Searching for Bobby Fischer. So I went and watched it again. It's about a chess prodigy with two very loving parents, Joe Montaigne and Joan Allen, who are trying to guide their young son. I hadn't seen it since it came out in 93. Max Pomerant plays the kid. Speaking of Ben Kingsley, he's great in the movie, playing this really intense, you know, draconian teacher. And Lawrence Fishburne's fabulous as well. He's the street smart guy who teaches them how to play chess, you know, more with your with your heart than your head. But that movie holds up, and there's a wonderful scene. The scene that Tim loves, which he reminded me of, is where the teacher's explaining about how the little kid's losing attention. He's got this little chess thing, and he just he just cuts her off. He goes like, "He's better at this than anything I've ever been in my life." Like, he's better at this than anything you will ever be in your life. Like, he has an absolute gift. He's a prodigy, and nobody's going to take that away from him. And uh, Joan Allen also has some great scenes of Montaigne as well, talking about his passion. So, really great movie, Searching for Bobby Fischer. Serpico is available on Hulu. I love it so much. One of Pacino's best movies. Anybody that tries to say Pacino's overrated and says, okay, yeah, I know The Godfather's good and Scarface, what else? Well, obviously, I've talked about Dog Day Afternoon, but... I think Serpico is an incredible movie. Speaking of character studies, Sidney Lumet, the director, uh, he's the one honest cop. Frank Serpico is ratting on all those guys out there, except he's not ratting. He's doing the right thing, even though his fellow officers think it's wrong and they're just riddled with corruption. Serpico is the guy who's out there to do it for justice. And if The Godfather showed uh, the talent of Pacino in a supporting role, because obviously Michael takes over the movie and becomes larger uh, as the movie develops, Serpico was Pacino's first starring role, a big screen role. Um, he was co-credited in uh, Panic in Neal Park, which is also a very good movie. But Serpico was, I mean, that was Pacino as star. Like that was, it's interesting. You talk to actors of that age and, and they'll mention the Godfather. Like, yeah, I made Pacino a star. But they go, Serpico, like, man, I wanted to be Frank Serpico. Everybody had an earring. Everybody had long hair. Everybody wanted to ride a motorcycle. Everybody wanted to be a bit of a jerk. Because <laughs> Serpico, and that, that's part of the greatness of Pacino's performance is that he's not this likable, idealistic guy. He's, he's kind of an annoying guy. Like he's, he's a loud mouth. He's cranky. He's he's a loner. Um but he's doing the right thing, and he's incredibly brave and heroic, and it's based on a very famous book by Peter Moss. So check out Serpico if you haven't seen it. I stumbled across uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit like a month ago, which I hadn't seen in forever. Pretty good movie. I'd li- I want to actually go back and see it all again. The great line that uh, Jessica Rabbit says, I'm not a bad girl. I'm just drawn that way. There's a bunch of good one-liners. Christopher Lloyd is the bad guy. Bob Hoskins very funny. I, I'm telling you, go back and watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit, especially as a predecessor to all these great animated movies. It's really funny and very clever. HBO Now, I mentioned The Deer Hunter. It's a great movie, but I think you only want to watch it once. I'm old enough that I remember VHS tapes and the two tapes. Deer Hunter, you go two tapes. Only the second tape is where it picks up. First tape, you're like, let's just get through this thing. All right, a good pool hall scene. When do we get to Chris Walken going nuts and him and De Niro making magic? The Simpsons movie, I'm recommending in honor of Hank Azaria. I don't remember anything about it, but in honor of Hank, go watch it. And Unforgiven is available on HBO now. I still keep thinking about Logan. I may have to upgrade it from three and a half to four Maple Leafs because it's a great movie. And I was mentioning last time the podcast how it reminded me of a Western. So definitely themes of... Uh, you know, what, what murder can do to one's soul and, you know, the violence and how it wreaks havoc on one. If you really liked Logan, then watch Unforgiven as a companion piece to it, perhaps. All right. So once again, check out Gilbert Gottfried's podcast. He's so funny. 
and such an entertaining guy. And he's got a really good podcast, the amazing Colossal Podcast. I mean, along those lines. I subscribe to it. Hang on, I'll get it here for you. Um, but it's really funny. And what they did recently on his podcast was famous movie taglines. Now, he was doing these old schlocky movies, like you know, Night of the Living Dead type stuff, and so many movies that I would have no idea what he was talking about. But it did make me think about some of our favorite taglines. It's what we mentioned in the previous edition of Cinephile. And he actually says at one point, he mentions the one that I love, which is from Taxi Driver, which is on every corner and every street, there's a nobody dreaming of being a somebody, who dreams of being a somebody. And I also mentioned to Dan, I love the one from Fargo, A Lot Can Happen in the Middle of Nowhere. So inspired by Gilbert's amazing colossal movie podcast, Dan's going to throw some taglines at me, see if I can spot them. It's an homage. Homage, absolutely. Total homage. I did not know we were ripping this from Gilbert Gottfried. Someone tweeted in at us. We thought it was a good idea. Right. Uh, So there's 10 of them. I'm interested to see how many you get. The first one, we're starting easy. Yeah. Here's to the fools who dream. Oh, man. You're going to be bad at this. That was the easy one. Here's the fools. Like, it's got to be one of these idealistic movies, like, you know. Recently. Yeah. that's not like a beautiful mind. It's going to be like... Uh, you were just covering it? Oh, uh, Moonlight? No. Oh, the, the one that we thought won? Oh, La La Land. Oh, okay, right. that's very good. Okay, good. Uh, second one. Your mind is the scene of the crime. Oh, wow. Okay, it's not Clue. You're terrible at this. Usual Suspects? You... No. Uh, your mind is the scene of the crime. Oh, Inception. Yes. Yeah, I'll yeah, give that yeah, one to you. Yeah, yeah. Third one, the first casualty of war is innocence. Oh, yeah, yeah. A great – oh, God, it's a great one. Uh, platoon. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, collide with destiny. Uh, I wanted to say Mr. Destiny, which is a terrible gym. That is not it. Playing a baseball player. Collide with, with destiny. destiny. Think about it. We had a guest on here who talked about finally seeing it in theaters – Oh, Titanic. Yes. Okay, good. Good, good hint. You helped me okay. with the hint. I wouldn't have got it. You referenced this movie earlier, so you should get this immediately. The List is Life. Oh, yeah. Schindler's List. Amazing. Okay. Yeah, it's a great one. Some memories are best forgotten. Ooh. Um, you love this movie. It's not the verdict. <laughs> 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 I love that Ivan Mizell was so happy when I went off on the verdict. He's like, oh, that is a great movie. That guy's awesome. Uh, give it to me one more time. Some memories are best forgotten. Uh, oh, there. Memento. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, good. <laughs> 50 million people watched, but no one saw a thing. Ooh. It's not network. Best picture nominee. Oh, Quiz Show. Yeah. yeah all right. All right. You're, you're, you're coming into your own here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Mission is a Man. Oh, uh, um, uh, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Okay. Hot streak. Yeah. This, oh, I threw in another easy one for you. Yeah. Like, you'll get it before I finish it. That's how okay. easy it is going to be. Three decades of life in the mafia. Good fellas. In search of wine, in search Sideways. of women, in yeah. search of themselves. Yeah, it's okay. a good one. Yeah, that's a great one. And the last one I have on here, I don't think you're going to get, but the true story of a real fake. Oh, true story of a real fake. Um, oh, uh, catch me if you can. Well done. Yeah, oh, right. did, did you get nine out of ten? Yeah, all right. Well done. Check the tape. We're never doing that segment again. No, but it was a good homage to Gilbert Gottfried and good picks out of you. Helpful with the hints, no question, but uh, with a hint in. Yeah, done. Right. Lifelines. All right, good stuff. A Scorsese story. This Scorsese story inspired by friend of the podcast, Mark Simon, who's going to be really upset we didn't do three words this time. So in honor of Mark, who went and saw Billy Crystal, was in uh, recently here in Connecticut. Quick Billy Crystal story for you. So I love Billy Crystal. Somebody asked me what are your favorite movies of his. I said, well, obviously, Analyze This is very funny. City Slickers is great. Monsters, Inc. Mr. Saturday Night, very underrated. And if I ever meet Billy Crystal, I'll tell him that because I know he loves that movie. So he was here, and he was filming some bit, and I was kind of waiting for him. And then after he did one of the takes, I'm like, oh, everyone's laughing. I'm like, oh, that was great, Billy. And I stuck out my hand, and he shook my hand, but he looked the other way. He's like, yeah, okay, thanks, thanks. And my friend Max Bredas and I have discussed this. And, and Hank Azarian, Ken Jong certainly did not do this. But when somebody meets you, and they shake your hand and don't look at you, that is an enormous pet peeve. And I was like, you know what? Like, no, I didn't. I, you know, actually, Billy, the take wasn't that good. I was just being nice. Wanted to say hi. So he's like, oh, hey, hey, like, okay, that, no, not, not a good introduction. Then I said, hey. I'm a huge fan of Mr. Saturday Night. So that got his attention. He goes, thank you. Thank you. It's my, it's my favorite as well. I'm like, no, I know. Like I, you, In every interview, you always mention critical mixed reviews, huge box office flop, but it was the movie that was most 
a part of your life. You've directed it. You wrote it. You ever, you know, 61 people mentioned, which is Sarah Walsh loves. It's a great baseball movie. But Mr. Saturday Night's the one he loves. I then said, I've got to ask you, why is it that you wear a Mets hat? And City Slickers goes, oh, God. Now he looks legitimately annoyed. Gus Ramsey was like, oh, what are you? You're, you're pissing off Billy Crystal. But he goes, everyone always asks me. I go, whatever. And he goes, the Mets gave a ton of money to my charity. I was like, oh, right. You and Whoopi and Robin. He's like, yeah, yeah. He goes, they gave a bunch of money to charity. And they're like, he just, I was like, just as a nice touch, I would do it. But he goes, honestly, the fact that people always, every day of my life, ask me about it, because I'm such a big Yankees fan, I wish I'd never done it. I'm like, all right, fair enough. I'm just curious. Why were you wearing a Mets fan? How about the Clippers this year? All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Billy Crystal took classes at NYU, which was taught by a 23-year-old Martin Scorsese which I had no idea about until Mark DM me. Could you imagine? Marty's only 23, and he's teaching classes to a young Billy Crystal. Like Now it actually makes sense that maybe I could be a teacher at LeMoyne. Kathy Leogrand could make this happen. I'm a 38-year-old budding film professor. Like, hell, if Marty at 23, this is, he made Mean Streets. He was 32. This was nine years before he made his breakthrough movie, and already he was like, all right, let me explain Vertigo to you. All right, so here, look at this. You're like, that's unbelievable. Uh, also in Entertainment Weekly, Laura Dern talked about being an extra in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, uh, which won an Oscar for Ellen Burstyn. It was uh, Marty's film right after Mean Streets, 1974. They did 19 takes of a scene in which she had to eat ice cream. At the end of it, Scorsese said 19 ice creams and no complaints of a stomachache, and she hasn't thrown up. Now this girl's an actress. Next week, we have more great guests, including, I mean, absolute juggernaut. I'm not going to jinx it. We'll see you next time at the movies. Don't miss out on the next episode of Cinephile. Subscribe to the Adnan Burke Movie Podcast by clicking the Listen tab in the ESPN app.